Good morning. I'd like to welcome you back to another edition of our Anchored in the Word Morning Reflection. And uh, this is the last of the last two episodes that we will do. So uh, this is going to kind of be something to think about in light of Christmas and as, as well as something to think about um, in the light of the new year. And what we're going to do is we're going to focus in on God's goodness and how he takes care meticulously his creation. And so we're going to see that from Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7 together. Here's what it says. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. All went to be taxed, everyone into his own house. And Joseph went up from Galilee into the city of Na- out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. I'm going to give you a summary statement for this passage, and then we're going to talk about a very important detail that we see um, emphasized in the Bible, but it's especially um, illustrated in this passage of Scripture. And so here's the summary. Christ's birth in Bethlehem of Judea rather than, than Nazareth and the historic details that facilitated the fulfillment of Micah's prophecy regarding his birth location are a powerful example of God's meticulous care in the story of redemption. And before we look at some of those details, which Lord willing we'll do tomorrow for our 250th episode, what I'd like us to do is I'd like us to notice how God cares for his creation in a very meticulous way and for the good of those who are in his creation. And we see this little statement in verse one, it came to pass in those days there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Now, when we read that little statement, it's just a historic fact. It kind of tells us when it happened. It establishes the validity of the timing of Christ's birth. But that little statement, it came to pass, is something that Luke often uh, states in both Luke and Acts, which are two books that are together. In fact, in Luke, the statement is used almost 70 times. And in Acts, it's used a little over 50 times. So it's stated a lot. And I know that it's a Greek a Greek statement, um, the Greek construction, but the, the actual translation in our uh, King James version, version, the authorized version, we see it um, 70 times and then almost 55 times. And so what it tells us is that the events that have been recorded, um, they're properly documented. But it's also saying something else. It's saying that these are events that unfolded as a direct result of God's action in the world. Either he's actively causing something to take place, or he is allowing something to to take place and guiding the ultimate uh, outcome of those things. His hand is at work in, in, in the situation that's going on. And so what that reminds us of is that Though life in a fallen world is is challenging, is complicated, God's still at work in this world. Reminds me of Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where it says that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them are the called according to his purpose. What it's saying is that as God allows things to unfold, he uses them and he causes them to work together in a way that is ultimately good. And we see an example of this here in Luke chapter 2. We, we see this concept all throughout the Bible, though. We see that people, even people who are very arrogant, 
They're very self-reliant. They're, they're not thinking about what God says, and they're not submitting to God's ways. They're ultimately being used by God to accomplish his purposes. And I want to give you just a few examples of this, how God works even in the lives of some of the most powerful people that have ever lived. For instance, in Isaiah 44, we see a statement about Cyrus. It says, Cyrus is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. In the next chapter, speaking of Cyrus again, it says, thus saith the Lord to his anointed Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, who subdues nations before him, who will loose the loins of kings. In, in Ezra chapter 1, when Cyrus is talking about the actions that he was taken, the way that it's recorded is fascinating. It says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord might by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven, hath given me all the kingdoms of earth, and he hath charged me to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? His God be with you, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. What a stunning series of statements. Isaiah predicts this. Jeremiah predicts this. Before Cyrus was born, they predict that this is going to happen. And Cyrus, even as he speaks the proclamation, is, is, is speaking as someone who understands after the fact he's the fulfillment of these things. We see the same thing in Daniel chapter 4 where it says, All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the armies of heaven, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Or in Proverbs 21, it says that the king's heart is in the hands of the Lord, and as the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Now, it'd be easy for us to say, well, we know that there are some moments in history that God has worked in such a way, but this must not be the typical way in which he works. Does God actually even govern and work through the seemingly meaningless and insignificant moments in time? And the answer is, well, yes, he does. And the Bible is full of statements regarding those things as well. For instance, in Proverbs 20, verse 24, it says, man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? Ecclesiastes 11, verse 5, as thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all things. Proverbs 16.1 says the preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is of the Lord. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing is of the Lord. These are fascinating statements. You know what they tell us? They tell us that God doesn't just care about the big picture, but he literally is upholding all things by the word of his power. And he is actively and personally involved in what goes on in the world. He's taking all these things that are going on and he's using them to accomplish his purposes, even things that don't seem to matter very much. I love this statement in Ruth chapter 2 where it says that Ruth went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And the way that it's worded is fascinating. It says, and her hap was to light on the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Now, the way that it's worded, 
is it gives you the impression Ruth doesn't really know who she's going to glean in the field of. She just happened to do it. Yet we're going to see as we read the book of Ruth that it's not just happenstance. It's not just uh, luck. It's the hand of providence at work. God caused her through seemingly insignificant things to end up in that field, and it's going to have a significant part of the end of the story. Or in, X, S, Esra, Esra, in Esther chapter 6, verse 1, it says, On that night could the king not sleep, and he commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles, and they read them before the king. And we know by the rest of the story that when the king is there trying to fall asleep because he's not tired and he's having a hard time sleeping, they just happened to read about a man who saved the king's life, was never thanked for his heroic actions, and the king says, what's been done to this person? Mordecai, what, what has been done to honor him? And they said, nothing's been done. And we see that this is going to play a significant point in the unfolding of this story. The idea is that God is even involved in those little details. He accomplishes his good purposes in the world. In, in, in the affairs of life, when it comes to kings and princes <clears throat> and the seemingly insignificant things like a person just happening to be in a field or a person being unable to sleep or the fashioning of a child in the womb, God's hand is at work in those situations. And we even see that when there are evil things that take place, God does not cause the evil, but he uses the evil to accomplish good. And in Genesis 50, verse 20, it says, as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And so as we think about this topic of God's meticulous care, I want to remind you in the light of Christmas and the light of the new year, that we serve a God who lovingly upholds our lives. Our breath is in his hands. There are no accidents in God's world. God allows and God causes and God uses things to accomplish good in the world. And even when people have evil intentions, if God permits something, he permits it to accomplish good. And I have seen this repeatedly over and over and over and over again. And within the Christian worldview, we have great comfort that God is able to take the things in our lives and use them to accomplish good. And the greatest example of all is the birth and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that you have a wonderful Christmas morning and Lord willing tomorrow as we look at the second part of this, it'll give you something to think about as we enter into the new year. Have a blessed morning. Bye now.